Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. We'll go ahead and sit back and relax for this one. I have uh, two stories to go over here, and, and one is rather long that I want to read through because it really is very, very interesting, and it's actually one of the things that I've been advocating for for quite some time. And it has to do, again, with any schools that are going in this critical race theory direction, how it's remarkably insulting, of course, to not just the teachers who are being forced to to teach this, uh, if they don't stand up for themselves and their own rights, of course, but the very students that disagree with it, as it discriminates against them as well. So that's going to be the second thing, uh, which which is an excellent article written by Technofog, and I um, I'll link the uh, the actual article in the description below here. But this first one I found on Gab, very interesting, and again I. <laughs> I wrote about this briefly uh, in my latest book, uh, The Unmasking of American Schools, which again is available on Amazon in uh, paperback and Kindle. Same thing with Barnes & Noble, uh, paperback and Nook. But I first heard about this last summer, toward the uh, end of the summer, and, and specifically toward the beginning of the school year, where Dr. Siegel was on... Fox News, and he was on Tucker Carlson's show, and he suggested that everybody wear a that when students return to school, they wear a red pin on their chest uh, to signify that they have either been vaccinated or haven't been vaccinated. I think it was that they had been vaccinated, and uh, the look on Tucker Carlson's face was absolutely priceless. He looked disgusted that that Dr. Siegel would even bring that up, and again, Dr. Siegel is a, a massive hypocrite, and I've criticized him in the past, and he wants everybody to be pumped to the gills with every vaccination known to man. Um, he suggests everybody get the flu shot every single year, and you're just pumping your body full of poison. So sure enough, uh, Dr. Siegel's wish came true in this one particular school. Anyway, there's uh, really no way to verify this per se, but uh, I find it unlikely that somebody would manufacture this, but who knows? It says, quote, this comes from uh, Beach Milk, at Beach Milk on Gab, and it's also tagged and, and reposted on my Gab account, but it says, quote, my daughter came home from school today with this button on her blazer. I asked her, what's this? She informed me that the school asked her to wear it to be recognized as not tested and not mask wearer. Some parents may say it's nothing, but for me, it means more than it appears. It's not just a button, it's the first step to branding and, isolation, and isolating people. It's, uh, it is now masks and tests, but soon it will be unvaccinated people. I cannot agree with this procedure, what do you think about it? And there are a bunch of comments, um, over 1,558 so far, it's been reposted about as many times, it's been liked about as many times, and it's just a silver, it's a little silver circular pin. Looks like a coin on the lapel of, of uh, this this female's, I don't know, middle school or high school jacket from their private school, it looks like. Hard to know, but it's awful nonetheless. And that right there just continues to show the stupidity of so many people uh, and unfortunately their influence over youth. So with that said, here's the second story and I'm going to read through this one and it is a little long, so... Get comfortable, but 
This comes from uh, technofogsubstack.com site, and if you're not familiar with uh, Substack, you can post articles on there and write your own articles and publish them yourself and the whole deal. Uh, it's very, very cool. But it's titled, The High School from Hell, A Black Student's Fight Against Critical Race Theory. So here we go. Quote, Let me tell you about a lawsuit and a school's effort to force intersectionality critical race theory on a student that refuses indoctrination. William Clark is a senior at Democracy Prep at the Agassiz Campus, a public charter school in Las Vegas, Nevada. He started the 2020 school year like any other senior, ready to graduate and pursue his dreams. His future is in music, and he wants to attend Berkeley School of Music or New York University. His dreams are normal, but he faces unique challenges. His father is deceased, his mother is temporarily disabled and unemployed, and he works fast food to help support his family. He is also suing his school. Williams' easy senior year was canceled by democracy prep after he stood up for what he believed. Not canceled in the COVID sense, but through means that violated his constitutional rights as a student. You see, this year he has been required to take a year-long class called Sociology of Change, taught by teacher Catherine Bass. This class is inspired by radical intersectionalist critical race theorist Kimberly Crenshaw. The first assignment in Sociology, sociology of Change included requiring William to reveal his racial, sexual, gender, sexual orientation, disabilities, and religious identities, determining if any parts of William's identity have privilege or oppression attached to it. According to Democracy Prep, recognizing these traits is important because from there you can identify your power and oppression. From the class, and now it shows a slide, and it says, why is knowing your identity important? Uh, gives you a sense of who you are based on your group memberships. Empowerment gives you power against your oppressors. And understand your relationship to institutions in society in general. So there's a number of slides throughout this article, but I'll read, uh, I'll read as many as I can, but I'm going to stick basically to the body of it. Okay, so the body continues, quote, It was brainwashing. William and the rest of the students were instructed they, quote, have lots of unlearning to do, unquote. They needed to eliminate institutional and ideological oppressions by undoing and unlearning their internalized beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that stem from oppression. And then it continues here. Some of the worst class materials related to institutions plus oppression. The family reinforces racism. Religion promotes right versus wrong judgment, as if critical race theorists don't do the same. Uh, the critical race theory didn't stop there. It continued in meme form, featuring rainbow hand Spongebob, with the message, reverse racism doesn't exist. There's another one here, another meme that says, black prejudice does not affect the rights of white people. And then there's one more slide for good measure. It says, racism equals prejudice plus power. Therefore, people of color cannot be racist. The article continues, quote, The student is also the accused. William is half white. His deceased father was white. His mother is black. According to his lawsuit, his green eyes, blondish hair, and light skin make it that he is presumed white by his peers. 
and the message from the teacher to his peers was simple. William is the oppressor. The hostile class environment, disagreements during class, and the overall message of the class caused William and his mother to determine that he would no longer participate. Democracy Prep answered that he must complete the class or he would not be permitted to graduate from high school. He must sit there, learn intersectionality, critical race theory, and be reprimanded, or I'm sorry, and be reminded of his oppressive status. Otherwise, college is out of the question and he can't pursue music. To his credit, William stuck to his principles. That's a lot of courage for a high schooler. The high school retaliated. Instead of accommodating his request for another class, they gave him a D-. This was a violation of the school's own standards, which state that democracy prep does not give Ds. The lowest grade he would, he would give, they would give, is a C-. William was the exception. All of this led to William and his mother's constitutional and other claims in their lawsuit, including compelled speech, retaliation, viewpoint discrimination, in violation of the First Amendment, invasion of privacy, equal protection, due process, and retaliatory violations of the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, intentional and retaliatory discrimination on the base of race and religion, and violations of Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972 for sex-based discrimination. Democracy Prep's problems aren't limited to critical race theory. There's more. The issues at the school didn't start in 2020. There's a lot going on underneath the surface, the parts that outsiders can't see. For those in the know, Democracy Prep is a, is a school from hell. Former faculty described a culture that didn't care for the kids. Bullying and harassment of students wasn't addressed, leading to a student suicide. Sexual harassment of staff and inappropriate comments to students were ignored. Grades were changed, possibly to get more funding. I'm going to stop it right there just for a second. As it turns out, all of those behaviors that I just mentioned are behaviors that occur in most, if not all, K-12 school districts, regardless of if they're a private, charter, public, it, it doesn't really matter. Unprofessionalism is rampant in this business, and I've said this before and written about it on numerous occasions, but this is one of those issues that is rarely addressed or properly addressed within teacher education programs, because this is the issue here that blindsides a novice teacher in their early 20s, who is entering the quote-unquote adult workforce for the very first time. And when they enter these environments, in particular the teaching profession, it's very common for a novice to believe that because there are students there and the job is for those students to learn, that everybody must care about students and that everybody must care about their fellow co-workers or at the very least, if they don't like one another, they just leave each other alone. As it turns out, that's just not the case. There are countless teachers that despise students. There are countless teachers that go to work for the sole purpose of gossiping about their other co-workers, etc., etc. So it's not unusual that this would be the case. I would say that the biggest red flag with this particular school is in the name. It's called Democracy Prep. That gives it away. That doesn't mean that they like democracy. The word democracy has been perverted now, and it essentially means communism.
to a large extent. It doesn't mean freedom. It doesn't mean independent. It doesn't mean human rights for everybody. Uh, it, it means we decide or else. And that's communism. So I'm going to continue here. It says, quote, just picking up right where I left off. All these accusations come from employees who left the school. Former democracy prep principal Christina, uh, last names, Bentheim, if I'm saying that right, probably not, uh, prepared a sworn declaration in support of Williams' case and under penalty of perjury outlining the school's terrible history. Her declaration includes accusations that, and there are four bullet points here, enrollment numbers appear to have been manipulated and inaccurately recorded, presumably to secure funding. That's not uncommon, in particular among um, charter schools. Number two, administration required police officers responding to abuse, neglect, student sexual conduct not uh, to not park in front of the building. Apparently, the optics were bad. That also is not uncommon, in particular among all schools. Schools hate it when the police are called. They can't stand it. They can't stand it. It's all about image protection. I wrote an entire chapter in my very first book about image protection, and I believe that was the title of the chapter. Protect the image at all costs. Number three, staff presentations of decentering white dominant culture through management. And then point four, school staff alters grades and attendance records, often for public relations, regulatory, financial, and discretionary reasons. William Clark, who challenged his intersectionality critical race theory class, was not afforded such accommodation. That, too, the manipulation of grades, attendance records, disciplinary records, also not uncommon among K-12 school districts. It's a standard practice among the most unethical. Again, doesn't matter how squeaky clean the building is, doesn't matter how big the smiles are on the people's faces. I've had this happen, I had this happen directly to me uh, when I was a school teacher. I had administrators change grades. They would change a grade from a D to a C. They would change a grade from a D to a B, and they would do it during the summer break behind my back when the student actually earned that grade, even if they failed. And I was teaching, I might add, exploratory classes. Which theoretically, if they get an F, so what? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't keep them from graduating. It doesn't keep them from moving on. But if they got an F, it was because they didn't turn in anything. They didn't turn in any work. Uh, we never graded on. When I taught, we never graded on attendance. That was absurd. And I certainly never graded on participation. That was also absurd. But everybody knew what the assignments were. And if you didn't turn them in, you got a zero. So grade manipulation is massive, and again, it happens behind teachers' backs all of the time, and teachers are guilty of grade manipulation all of the time as well. So it continues here, and there's more slides. Uh, quote, the staff presentation former principal Bentheim mentions in her declaration can be seen here. For context below, for context below are some of the most egregious slides. So one of them says, equity equals everything. Decentering white dominant culture through management. And then it says the goals of that presentation are to strengthen community of democracy preps leaders as anti-racist practitioners in schools, learn the common components of dominant culture, practice strategies to deconstruct and or decenter white dominant culture at work. This stuff is just outrageous. It's beyond outrageous. 
Components of white supremacist culture. Worship of the written word in those degrees. Reason is greater than emotion. And numbers over stories. This is hilarious. <laughs> this is absolutely hilarious. This entire slide that they're using here in their presentation is the exact opposite of anything logical. Worship over the written word. Wor worship of the written word. So they don't like people who read, is what they're saying. Reason over emotions. So a person, so if it's the facts versus feelings thing. And then numbers over stories. So statistics over lies. That's very funny. And it's true, actually. We do like uh, the written word. We do like reason. And we do like numbers. Because they tend to not lie. Uh, the article continues, quote, These complaints of former principal Bethheim, Bentheim were not new. Many of these were made in this first February 19th whistleblower email. And there's a link to it. I'm just going to continue here. Former teacher uh, Nicole Tishkowitz, Tish, Tishkowitz. Man, these last names. I'll tell you what. Whatever happened to John Smith? Is there a John Smith out there? Former teacher Nicole Tish Tishkowitz also submitted a sworn declaration in support of William. She explains that democracy preps problems extended far beyond intersectionality and critical race theory. A 2018 suicide of a bullied and harassed student could have been prevented with by a competent faculty. Uh, she was subjected to sexual harassment from a fellow faculty member and reported it on multiple occasions. This same faculty member was also observed making inappropriate comments to female students. She was told to stay away from him. She was harassed multiple times by her direct supervisor. Nothing was done after she complained. William is one of the only students in the school who looks white, and I believe this was a factor in the school's policy toward him when he objected to the class. I experienced bullying from supervisors at Democracy Prep that was racially motivated. Those were all quotes from her sworn declaration. It continues, case developments. Quote, Williams' attorneys requested a preliminary injunction and temporary restraining order against Democracy and the other defendants, including the faculty, asking for an order that his D- in sociology of change be expunged and he be permitted to enroll in another class or project, and that Democracy Prep and its faculty be restrained from their coercive, harassing, and retaliatory actions against William. The attorneys for Democracy Prep and the other defendants responded as one would expect, not by trying, not by trying working with the soon-to-graduate student, but by asking the court to shut these requests down. They said asking William to identify his race and sex on a private forum and, I, and independently reflect on them was not harassment at all, despite the message from his teacher that his identity was problematic. And in any event, that was not compelled speech, according to democracy's prep lawyers. It was rather the type of typical lesson that occurs regularly, that courts regularly uphold. The preliminary injunction and temporary restraining order have been heard by the judge. The judge was receptive to Williams' case, saying, quote, 
I think William is likely to succeed on the merits of his compelled speech claims. Um, let's see. And then it wraps up here. Quote, We hope to hear good news soon. The parties are currently conducting settlement efforts. William has extra leverage, extra leverage due to the judge's statements. As this case goes on, credit to William, his mother, and their attorneys for taking the stand and putting up a fight. And as intersectionality critical race theory increasingly creeps into schools, it will be up to brave students and their parents to fight back against indoctrination. On the other side, educators and lawyers are introducing intersectionality and critical race theory to young minds are certainly reviewing this case and taking notice, not to address parental and public concerns over the materials, but to figure out how, just how far they can go without being taken to court. Unquote. This is a, an interesting case and a difficult one for a variety of reasons. First of all, I, I too applaud William and his mother for their legal action. There's no doubt about it. This entire school is discriminating against him because they don't like his skin color. It really is that simple. Now, if they were yanked into a court, put on a, a, a stand... Raise your right hand, take the oath, and testify. Would they say it was because of his skin color? They would say no, it wasn't. But all of their actions, including what they're actually teaching here, um, prove the exact opposite. So, yeah, it's, this is a difficult situation to say the least. Again, I wish that more parents and more, and more students, and being their children, would do this. Um, they do it in cases of physical violence with regularity. I recall communicating once with an administrator. We had a, we had a, a great deal of referrals and, and violence um, in in our school, and you know our our school wasn't necessarily an urban school per se in an urban location. It was a, it was a, it was sort of a mixture of of everything. Um, it was in a rural setting. It was also in a suburban setting, but there was an urban setting as well. And I simply asked the administrator at one point, how many, say you, say you have 10 referrals for violence, for physical violence between two students of those cases, how many times do the parents press charges, criminal charges against the other party? And, uh, they looked at me and they said eight out of 10 times. That's information that's not shared with teachers on a regular basis. And I took her at her word because I sort of shocked her with the question, and she had an answer ready to go. She said about eight out of ten times, parents will press char criminal charges against the, the guilty party in the, in the physical altercation. But regarding this kind of stuff, this critical race theory nonsense, and again, it has to be laughed at because it is. I mean, the, the teachers in this school building, this democracy prep in Las Vegas, Nevada, I mean, they are idiots. There's no way around it. The, these, these people are not teachers. They're activists. And that's unfortunately what many teacher education programs are seeking to do with their, with their youth and, and uh, their young adults who want to be school teachers is they want to teach them to be activists. They don't want to teach them the actual history of education in our country, how it's gotten worse over the over the last 100 years, why it's gotten worse over the last 100 years, and how it's how it's getting even worse than it was then and is now, and this is this is just the proof in the pudding right here. 
So when schools like this hire people who aren't teachers and they hire them to be activists, think of the kind of people that they're hiring. If they don't like a child who's mixed race and looks more white than he is black, what, what are they doing about their hiring processes for their own staff members? I can't imagine there being a white teacher in the school building or a white administrator. So it's a, it's a much bigger problem, but it's re, it really is the bigots and the racists that are pushing this material on, on students and staff members, even at the teacher education level. And it's too bad because, again, it has nothing to do with reading, writing, and arithmetic. It has nothing to do with learning how to function uh, in, in a workplace or in society. And I've lectured on that in the past at the university level too, and it costs individuals their jobs. And these undergraduates have looked at me like, you know, uh, not all of them, but certainly some of them and some of the more vocal ones have looked at me and basically said, whatever, you're wrong. If I want to be an activist, I can be an activist. I have, I have rights too and blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, you have rights. Go for it. You just better do it in private. Because when you're doing it in the public eye and you're doing it in front of your students, they're going to go home and tell their parents, and then you're out of a job. And then they look at me just with horror on their face. I mean, many of these undergraduates who, who are training to be teachers actually believe that they're going to be hired in one building and work there for 30 years and then retire and stick their feet in the sand for the rest of their lives. That's not the way that it works. That usually doesn't happen. Most teachers teach in multiple buildings. And uh, many of them lose their jobs and they quit after about four or five years. That's usually the going rate and turnover rate for school teachers. So again, just to summarize here, back to this story, I wish more parents and students would take this approach. This is not the approach that you know Chris Ruffo is taking with his committees. And again, I, I admire the work that Chris Ruffo's done on, on some topics, you know, uh, and people feel comfortable bringing him information. But this article from Technofog, who's a lawyer, apparently. Um, is is a perfect example of what parents should do and what their children should do. They should always monitor what's going on in, in their in their school building and in their classroom. And if it's discriminatory, you have to you have to use the law to your advantage. The unfortunate reality of this particular case, though, is that many lawyers wouldn't take up this case. I mean, a constitutional lawyer would certainly take up this case, but with many lawyers, and again, this is this is a bit of a knock on the profession, and rightfully so, but many of them would say, well, why don't you just take your child out of that school? Why don't you just enroll them in public school? Why don't you just find a different school to go to? If they're mistreating you, why don't you just do that? And they say the same thing to teachers, I might add. Lawyers will say the same thing to many teachers. They'll say, well, you're being mistreated in the workplace. Well, that's unfortunate. Why don't you just find another job? Why don't you just teach somewhere else? See, when rights are being violated, lawyers are supposed to stand up for the citizens whose rights are being violated. That's, that's the point. But the unfortunate reality is that many of them don't. So... I do recommend still using lawyers if you can and find and just because one lawyer turns you down doesn't mean they all will. So find another one and then maybe you'll end up in a advantageous situation like William has, but clearly he's gone through plenty and his family's gone through plenty here and it's remarkably unfortunate, but hopefully he ends up out on top. And again exposing the school for what they have done to countless employees apparently uh, is more than reward enough. 
And frankly, the school should probably be shut down. And it probably will be shut down. If they've been engaging in these kinds of practices and if they're a charter school, um, they can fold very quickly because their lawyers aren't going to be able to handle the the damages that they might have to end up paying. And the board members who run charter schools aren't going to be able to pay out of their own pockets. And they're just, I mean, that's it. And no state's going to continue to fund them if they continue to do this. So again, it's if you stand up for your rights, it'd be interesting to see how many schools actually fold and completely buckle under the weights of their own hatred. Um, and again, it just takes a lot of courage to, to, to do the right thing, but I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It's always worth it in the end. Win, lose, or draw, it's always worth it. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.